So when did, you know, the idea of a kingdom, when did it come about, you know, in that mindset of, of earth? And so when you look in Scripture, as you study the Bible, you're going to find that the first mention of something in Scripture will give you the key indication as to the principle behind the Father's heart. So whenever you encounter something for the first time, like you encounter lying to the Holy Spirit when Ananias and Sapphira sell their land but don't give the full amount to the, the body. And it's not because they didn't give the full amount. It's because they lied and made impression that they gave the full amount when in fact they held back a portion. So that's first mention in Scripture of lying to the Holy Spirit and the result of that was instantaneous death. So you see the severity, and Jesus had said that too, talking about anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, you know, you're, that's an unforgivable sin. So there's these things where first times that they're mentioned, they'll give you an indication to the Father's heart. Now there's people who have lied to the Holy Spirit, attempted to lie to the Holy Spirit since Ananias and Sapphira, and were not killed instantaneously. Okay, but that's only because of the mercy of God. It's only because of the kindness of God. So his heart on the matter isn't different. You know, his heart is the same. It's yet that we live in a merciful, gracious Father who overlooks the transgressions that we have because of the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? And so, when you think about a kingdom, Jesus came and proclaimed this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We looked last time we talked, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to us in John 17, when He talked about His prayer, He said, I pray for them, Father, not because they are, they are of the world, but because they are not of the world. And then He said in John 16, in the world you'll have trouble and tribulation, but take heart, I overcame the world. So come out of the world, exist in my kingdom, and you will be an overcomer. Right? And so the kingdom mindset is something we have to embrace. It's something that Townsend is embracing. You know, I was a part of another pastor's meeting this, this past Thursday with multiple denominations of people. And it doesn't matter. The denominations thing is really out the door in those rooms because Dave Dugan said it so eloquently. He said, which he always does, but he said it so eloquently. Here you have eight pastors from eight different churches and probably six denominations and a few non-denominational, which non-denominational can, can get wild, you know. So um, you've got these eight guys who honor each other, but are not afraid to express what is in their heart that the Father has placed there. So it's not, we're not in the room afraid that we're going to offend the Baptist and afraid that the Methodist is going to offend the non-denominational. That's not it. It's, I honor you in what you choose and who you are in Christ, but I'm going to share with you what's in my heart. And I pray that you have the grace to receive what's in my heart. Why? Because we all in that room have something to learn from somebody else. Amen. So God is moving the kingdom in Townsend. To have that many, and eight is the number of new beginnings. So the, the, the week that uh, Dave was able to join us as he's a part of the leadership here at Truth, there was eight of us in that room, which is new beginnings. You know, God's bringing forth something new. Well, I wanted to say, you know, I was asking God about this kingdom. Help us to understand, Lord, what does this mean? Because to just have a, a knowledge of something is useless. You have to be experiential in what you have. Like, you can know God is love and not be loving at all. Right? You can know God as a miracle-working God and never perform a miracle in your entire life. 
But Jesus didn't want us to go out and don't perform miracles. Jesus didn't say, go out and learn as much as you can and then teach everybody what you know and then argue with them until they know you're right. That's not the command of Jesus. He said, go, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise up the people that are dead, and do it because I'm with you. Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. So he wants you to go and perform miracles in his name and by his blood, right? And so with this kingdom, we can't just have this talk. It's a kingdom. And, and this is, so how does grace and the kingdom link? Because that's the key. The key is if you don't operate in grace, you can't live in the kingdom. If you don't operate in grace, if you don't want to live in grace, if you don't want to appreciate the grace of Jesus Christ, you can't live a kingdom life. So apart from grace, you're going to live a religious life. But in grace, you have freedom to be in the kingdom, to be a king's kid. And so let's, let's just talk about that. What does 1 Samuel say about the kingdom? In 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says this, verse 1, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges at Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. Here you have Samuel is the head. He's God's man. He's God's prophet. He is the one who, when the king needs to know what God's up to, he turns to Samuel and says, what's God saying? So who is governing the Israel nation is God. But he's doing it through Samuel. Samuel, growing old, says, I'm going to impart this power, this not the power, but necessarily the, the authority to my sons, and what happens? They get a religious spirit. It's what Jesus warned against. He said, beware of the, of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. These guys got both. They got the leaven of the Pharisees because they were in charge, right? So that's the religious spirit, but they got the leaven of Herod because now they wanted it, to use it for gain. Because what was Herod? He was the most greedy of all kings, right? He had this political agenda to become wealthy at the cost of whoever it costs somebody. So these sons have this leaven that's now in their hearts. And so when that happens, uh, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So now they're being ruled by a religious spirit and a political spirit by these two judges. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. So even the people recognized what was going on in the leadership, right? Which is normally the case. Normally the people know what's going on in leadership before leadership does. <laughs> right? Go into a poorly managed restaurant, and you'll understand that it's poorly staffed because the staff is following after what the managers do, right? So it's leadership that often is last to the table in, in a sense. So Israel knows there's a problem. And then he says, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. I want you to see something. Israel's mindset was, flesh can save us. Flesh is the problem, flesh can save us. That's what they're saying. They're going to the man of God who they know has walked with God, who walks in the ways of God and has the answers of God and doesn't say, hey, your sons are jacked up. Will you ask God to bring about a great revolution to our nation? That's not the answer. The answer from them is, hey, your sons don't walk in your ways. Help us by giving us more flesh. And so in the kingdom, the mindset of the world and the mindset of most Christians today is what's working isn't working. I better try harder in my flesh. What's happening in my life isn't, isn't getting where I needed to go, so I got to perform better. 
I don't have the results that I'm, that I'm looking for. I, there's something I've got to do different. I'm sick. God, what have I done that has brought about my sickness upon me? You know, these are the questions that hit us, and I'm not making light of any of them. They are real questions. But the truth is, flesh profits nothing. The Spirit gives life. You don't earn what God has for you in destiny. You already have it in destiny. You only have to believe it's there and carry it out. And so it's the kingdom mindset that comes about. It says, these, but these things displease Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Here's something. You want to pray for the wrong thing? You might get it. See, that is something the Lord taught me, a very practical lesson recently. My wife and I prayed for something that we went and, and had a meeting, and we, we really laid it before the Lord. And we said, Lord, if this is your will, this is going to happen. And we were sincere in our prayer. But the amount of knowledge that we had at that time was about this big. Fast forward two and a half months later, we suddenly are awarded this thing that we had prayed for. But now our knowledge wasn't this big, our knowledge was this big. And in recognition of what we had prayed at that time, not knowing what was going to come in a future time, we suddenly realized that God is faithful to answer prayer, but does that really mean that I'm supposed to step through that door? So it was an interaction with heaven again to say, all things considered God... We just got to do it. We just got to put the backpack on and just go for it, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the best answer. And so God says here, Obey the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So there are times in your life where the Lord will allow circumstances to come that you have a desire for, but it's not to harm you. It's to have better intimacy and better connection with you. Think about Abraham for a minute. Abraham was commanded, go and take Isaac, your son, and go up to the mountain and kill your son, sacrifice him, because you have loved him too much. Right? That was the command of God. Abraham packs his stuff, packs his son, they all head up the the mountain, he and his son head up the mountain, he tells the servants, hold back, we're heading up to the altar. They head up to the altar And he raises the knife after binding his 14, 15-year-old son on this altar, has the knife in the sky, and then hears the voice of the Lord. Abraham, Abraham, now that I know you love me, now I know that you love me. Do you know what the religious spirit would do? They would plunge the knife. The religious spirit will plunge the knife. And the reason is because God said it, it's got to be what I'm supposed to do, and whatever that voice was I just heard, it's just trying to detract me from what God really said. See, the, the, the key to our Father is listening to His voice. That's the key. That's it. It's not listen to His voice till you get it figured out, because then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 all of a sudden gets thrown out the window and you never have to obey it again. Because Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. So when does that stop? Never. Never. You never can lean on your own understanding. Right? So it's always, this is the kingdom mindset, is to say, okay, God, what do you have for us? So he says this, they, they, they forsook me, not you, Samuel. So obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So here's the mention of kingdom. This is earth's kingdom. So listen to it. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, 
These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take. Just pay attention to that phrase. He will take. Your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and and equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards, olive orchards, give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So the the theme, I hope you picked up on it, is that man's kingdom is a kingdom that takes. It's a kingdom that takes. And the kingdom of God is 100% the opposite. 100% the opposite. This is why people struggle with grace. They struggle with grace because you haven't yet lived in the purity of of the true kingdom of God. We haven't yet experienced what it's like to be in the temple of God in the heavenly place, worshiping before the, thro- before the throne of the Lamb. We yet don't know how free and liberating and giving that place is going to be, right? So the journey is to leave man's kingdom behind and to begin to experience the kingdom of God which is at hand now. So how do you do that? How do you transition? How do you get your mind, your heart settled in on these? Number one, you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to give you the revelations of what grace really means in your life. It's not because of a a teacher. No teacher can bring it to you. It's got to be the revelation of the Holy Spirit. But the intention of teaching, the the intention of illuminating it through speaking is that faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. So I could say, cake is chocolate, and the Holy Spirit could spin it in your heart and give you a revelation of what, great, what grace is. That's how good God is. He can use anybody, anytime, anywhere who are faithful. He will do it. And so He'll speak to your own heart. But as He's doing that, think about the kingdom of God. Just, let's just think for a minute. What do you have? Okay? At all. What do you have that King Jesus needs? What do you have that He would have to come to you and take it? Number one, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Does Jesus need health right now? Is He perfectly healthy? Why would we ever think that He would come and take your health from you? He doesn't need health. He gives health. See, the king, our king, is not a king who takes. He's a king who gives. 
I hate the worship song now in my own heart. I hate the worship song says that he gives and takes away. Do you want to know why? Because Satan took from Job and we made a song out of it because of somebody saying, well, he gives and he takes away. Satan took from Job. God didn't take from Job. So, so what are we doing? We're worshiping God by saying, we're accrediting to you, God, that which Satan did to Job. Whoa, hold on a second. Let's think about what we sing. Let's think about what we say. Let's think about who is this King of glory. Lift up ye heads, O ye gates. We're the gates. He said, anyone who comes in, they come by the door. I am the door. Guess what? You're a door to the kingdom of God. I'm a door to the kingdom of God. Why? Because Christ has saved me, made Himself. He set up shop. He made me a door. Swing me open. Let people come into the kingdom. You know what He rebuked the Pharisees for? You travel through everything, everywhere to make proselytes, and you make them twice the sons of hell as you are. Words from Jesus' own mouth. You are converting people to hell. Whoa! But I thought we're supposed to evangelize. Yes, we're supposed to evangelize. The good news of grace, not the bad news of religion or the bad news of greed. So our King, King Jesus, does not need health. So I'm just going to make this declaration over my own life. You will not take my health, Jesus. Instead, you will give me health because you're the healer. Ed, Jesus is giving you health. He's taking nothing from you. He's giving to you. Today, driving out the enemy, driving it away, that health would be... Bill, He's giving you health in your stomach, in Jesus' name. He doesn't need a healthy... He hasn't taken a healthy stomach so that He can have one. He doesn't need it. So, that's one. Health, right? So I wrote down a couple other things as as the Lord was spurring my heart on. So... What else does Jesus need? Let's just think about what Jesus... Jesus needs money. Does He need some money? What does Scripture say? I forget which book it is. I'm not going to misquote it. The Old Testament, there's a prophet who says, all the silver and gold belong to the King of glory. Do you know that Satan is the stealer? Do you know why the world system is rich? It's because Satan has been stealing God's money. But here's God. God's not like, I don't know what to do. Satan's taking a bunch of my money. God's like, oh, it's all right. It's just going to be on hold until it's ready to be distributed. To those who believe that it's all mine. To those who believe. All he wants you to do is believe that money belongs to him. That's it. I'm not even preaching get, believe in Jesus and get rich. What I'm preaching to you is he owns it. Believe that he owns it and that the enemy tries to steal it. So when you don't have money, it's not because God took your money to teach you a lesson. It's because you need to believe he's going to give it to you. That's it. It might take a little while. Believe it. God, it's your money. God, you're going to pay my bills. You told me that the righteous are not going to beg bread. I know I'm going to eat. I know I'm going to be clothed. I know I'm going to have even in abundance. Why? Because in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says that you're going to give me so much that I'm going to have use for every good work. I'll be able to just write checks where they're necessary to write them. Amen. He said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then he said, and turned around, Jesus said the same thing. He said, but if you give, guess what? You're getting it back. Pressed down, shaken, overflowing. <laughs> try it. Try to outgive God. Just try it. Ain't going to happen. I know a guy that tried. He gave away like 12 cars. Finally gave away. I mean, he just kept giving his cars away. He's like, no. 
honey, I just think we're supposed to give the car away again. She's like, okay, honey. You know, like after about six, she was probably right along with it, you know. They give away all these cars, and he's like, finally, I've gotten to a place where now I really need to see the Lord show up. We have no vehicle. And this guy was a pastor of a really large church in Orlando. <laughs> so he gets a phone call from a guy, and he's like, hey, this guy's not connected to the story whatsoever. He just calls him, and he's like, Lord told me you don't have any vehicles. And he's on the phone. He's just like, oh, Lord, you're doing it again, you know? And that's what would happen. He'd give one away, and somebody would give him one. And he's like, he's like yeah, well, yeah. You know, he didn't want to, like, brag about it. He's just like, well, it's just kind of where we're at right now with the Lord. And He's like, yeah, I know. The Lord told me. Um, so I'm going to take care of all your transportation. The guy traveled a lot. And uh, he's like, well, you know, you don't need to do that. You know, we understand. The guy's really wealthy. He's like, no, I... Uh, I've already reserved an airplane up at the hangar, and it's yours for your use at any time, anywhere. You just tell them to fill it up. It's all on my tab. And if you need a car, wherever you're going, there'll be a car there at the hangar, so you can drive that car, and you have an airplane. So now you can fly where you need to fly, and you can drive where you need to drive. And he's like, God bless you. (laughs) What? The guy was like, what? You know, like, that's God, though. See, God is one who says it will be pressed down, shaken, and overflowing. So I just, I, I sense the Lord saying to us, Really important, don't think God's taking anything away. He's not a God who takes. He's not like this king in, in earth. The king, guess what? You know why Saul took from Israel? Because he was a pauper. He was a pauper. He was the son of a Benjamite who was chasing donkeys for his dad and turned around and said, you're going to be king. You know what? Poverty mindset in a king caused him to be one of the most taking kings that ever was. When you're a taker, it's because you have a poverty mindset. And if you have a poverty mindset, the kingdom of God wants to revolutionize that into an adopted son with a great inheritance, in an adopted daughter with a great inheritance. You're not an orphan. You're not, you're not out there struggling in this place. You are a king's kid with the king's inheritance. Right? So let's think about some other things. What, what does God need? Um, does God need security? Does he need any security? Like, is he insecure without us? He's like, I don't know what to do. There's some of them in the church that they don't really believe in me today. Jesus, do you think we're still okay? Like, are we all right? Holy Spirit, do you think that, do you think, you think we're all right? Holy Spirit, look at me, look at me. What do you think, Holy Spirit? Am I still okay? Never, never a thought, never even an idea in God's mind. God is 100% okay all the time. He's so okay that we can't even fathom how okay He is. He is perfectly secure. So why would you think that He would come into your life to try to take away your security? He doesn't. That's the devil who wants to make you think you're insecure and then wants to blame it on God. Oh, God's making you insecure because you just need to learn how to get through your insecurity. What? God makes us secure. He adopted us. He's cried out. The spirit of adoption should cry out from in our hearts saying, Abba, Father, do you love us? We love you. That's a kingdom, right? So He's giving you security. One of the things that's so great about Jesus is you're never alone. You're never alone. Never alone. Yeah, but you don't understand. I was really rude yesterday, and I'm just falling in my sin. It doesn't matter. If you're in the grace of Jesus Christ, He is closer right then than He ever is, because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. 
See, that's why grace is such a struggle for us. In man's kingdom, you would have to suffer punishment for your wrongdoing. In God's kingdom, Jesus suffered punishment for your wrongdoing. Done. Done. Punishment. Done. God doesn't punish the saints. If we could just get that message out to the global Christian church, God would be so glorified. He does not punish His sons and daughters. He punished one son so that all the other sons and daughters could live free. Free from punishment. So grace, that's what grace is. Grace is a free gift. It's given to us. So I was praying about it, and then I started thinking about, God, are there things you take away? And the, question, the answer is yes. But you know what he takes away? One, your sin. Taken. Are some of us in this room going to have an act of sin tomorrow? Yes. Taken. It's already forgiven. It's already done. You already have grace waiting for that failure. That's a hard place to live. It's a hard mentality to keep. It's a hard belief to believe, but you need to believe it. You need to believe it because that's what will draw you back to the throne of grace. He took sin. You know what else he took? He took cursing from my mouth. How did he take it? By pouring out himself into me. By a giving God, it ends up taking away the things that are not necessary in my life. He took away discontent in many areas of my life. How? By filling me full, he drove out discontent. He took away my debts. Could you ever repay God for what He has done for you? You had a debt stacked to the moon and back times three. And He said, paid. Got it. So every time Satan comes to, to the Father, and Satan does approach the Father, and he approaches the Father on your behalf, or his demons, or his principalities, or his powers, approach that, that throne and say, do you see what Dave Fahidi is doing? Dave Fahidi is messing up so royal right now. He is blah, 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 slander, 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 and accusation, accusation. He's the most selfish, self-centered person I've ever seen. Slander, slander, slander. You know what Jesus does? He stands up and says to the Father, he's with me. He's with me. Done. Sorry, goodbye. Leave, black demon. You're gone, right? Let the kingdom of light shine forth. See, that's what happens every time. Not sometimes. See, the kingdom of God is a consistent place where things are rule. They're rules. Your forgiveness is sure. A hundred percent of the time. Every accusation you receive after salvation is annulled by Jesus Christ, our advocate. Everyone. You never have to come back and say, well, this time I think maybe there's something to this. No, there's not. Jesus' blood is still sufficient. And so, as a king who gives these gifts, lying. I used to be a liar. Like, when I grew up, I was one of the worst liars. I just... I didn't want to get in trouble, but I wanted to sin a lot. That, the result of that, the equation is, you got to lie a lot. You know? I want to be a sinner, and I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm just going to lie about it. You know? Well, you're in trouble. So, lying for me is something the Lord has taken out of my life. I, 
It's not because I'm a good Christian boy. It's because I want to be transparent before Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to lie to somebody on earth, then I'm really in essence saying I'm not considering this relationship very important. I'm going to overlook this relationship just to make this thing okay. The flesh profits nothing, the spirit giving life. Yeah, I understand that scripture, Lord. I'm just going to... You see what I'm saying? My Lying to me now is something that completely cuts me off in my relationship to the one that I love. Why did that happen? It's because Jesus kept pouring His love in my heart and pouring His love in my heart where it'd be, I didn't want to lie anymore. And I didn't want to sin anymore. And I couldn't take credit for it. I didn't go through a one, two, three steps on how not to lie. Jesus just showed up. See, that's the kingdom. That's the giving of Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. And so, other things. Unbelief. I used to not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus come in with a, with a fiery rod of iron and beat me down until I believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? No. He let me struggle and struggle and struggle for a time and a season and kept on lovingly saying, Hey, Justin, why don't you read your Bible? Hey, Justin, why don't you uh, sit with me? Why don't you study what I've said? Hey, why don't you stop listening to all the men that you're listening to and listen to me? I have, a, I have something I want to share with you. Gently, for years. Until one day I finally said, Forgive me, Father. And he wasn't like, I told you, I've been waiting for two years. It was like, ha ha, ready? Let's do this. That's the excitement of the Father. It's not, the condemnation doesn't come. He's not up there waiting for you and then, oh... Not like earthly dads. He's so much better. He's so much better than that. Your doubts, your unbeliefs, your immorality, your sensuality, your malice, your pride. You know what I love about grace? Grace is the best stripper of pride that ever was. When you start to really appreciate grace. See, the law came through Moses, Scripture says, but, say it, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, what the law failed to do was tell us the absolute truth. And the truth is grace. Grace. So you have this goodness of God where it's continuously poured out, where He doesn't need to take anything from you because He's that good of a king. He's self-sufficient. See, God's not a pauper. He's not poverty in His mind. He's not wondering what He can get from you, 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 or you. He's wondering and knowing and understanding what you need that He's going to give you. And He will give and give and give and give and give and give and give. He never stops giving. So, I want you to understand something about the kingdom today. If you don't know how to receive, you are going to stink at living in the kingdom. You're going to stink at it. Why? Because if grace and truth came through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that is for kingdom living, you know what that means? That means you and I have to believe Jesus wants us to receive all that Jesus said we should receive and that we cannot work or earn it in any way. And that will rip you of pride. You'll want to think, you, you have, I got the revelation of the scriptures in Romans because I fasted for three days. Glory to God. No. You got the revelation of a passage in Romans because God is good and He loves you. Whether you fast three days or not. I'm not telling you not to fast. Do what God tells you to do. But I'm telling you, grace says it already was yours. You didn't earn it. 
See, that's what I love about grace, is the more I appreciate the goodness of God, the less I have to try to take credit for. And didn't he say, whom the Son sets free is free indeed? We're, we, are, we are freed from pride. Real grace will strip you of pride. False grace will become a source of pride every time. And you trample underfoot the Son of God. So people are like, you preach this, this grace, it's like this ultra grace. And I mean, nobody's ever said that to me, but you know, I've heard it said about many other people who talk about grace. But see, real grace doesn't make you want to sin. And I make no excuses for sin. And I said it at the very beginning. God feels the same about sin today as He did when He saw His Son massacred on a cross on the, on, at Golgotha. His feeling towards sin is the same. However, the payment for that sin is complete. And once complete, God's not going to go back there and put Christ on the cross again and again and again and again. He died once for all for sin. He's not going back to that cross. It's done. So if it's done in the mind of God, it's got to get done in our minds too. And that's why it doesn't draw you to sin. False grace draws you to sin. False grace is, I've got to get out of jail free card and can do what I want. That's just a carnal heart waiting to do carnal things and trying to run around telling people that they're a Christian. Because true Christ following is, I don't want to do that stuff. I want this relationship to work. I always talked about conviction and guilt. Conviction is this. It's when you look ahead. You're convicted because you have slid something between you and the one you love. And the Holy Spirit is kind enough to say, hey Justin, you just slid that right in between you and I in our relationship. So I'm convicting you of sliding a block in our relationship. That's conviction. It's a forward-looking mentality. Conviction is up ahead, up ahead, up ahead. Guilt is a backward-looking mentality. Guilt is, I turn around, I see what I did, and I don't like the consequence. That's guilt. Guilt is when you turn back and say, I don't like this, and I I don't like the consequence. That's guilt. Conviction is, ooh, all right, Lord, let's get rid of that thing. So you confess your sins. Why? Because you just want to remove it and say, let's be right here. I want to be right here with the Lord. Not because He's not going to continue to pursue you, but because you have willfully slid something that's going to hinder that relationship. He's a person. He's not a robot. And He's a person that we need to learn. We need to learn how to communicate with Him. We need to learn who He is. We need to learn how He operates. And the most important thing we need to do is learn how to receive from Him. I think it's so ironic that that people are afraid of grace because they think God is this somehow demanding person who has all these demands to be placed upon you. And it's law mentality. If you look at the law, what was the law? You were earning a closeness to God that you could otherwise not have. That's why it wasn't the truth. It wasn't the full truth. Because you can't earn the closeness to God. He had to give it to us. And He did it through Jesus. So if we can't earn that closeness, guess what? We can't earn it today any more than they could earn it back then. Don't make grace a modified law. Because you abandon, you abandon real grace. And if you do that, you fall under the curse of the law. So here's what happens. God is such a permissive God. He's like, He's created this awesome kingdom, but He is really, as He interacts with it in perfection all the time, He will allow us 
to explore and grow and learn. So there are times when He would just stand over us, brooding over us like the Holy Spirit. It says He brooded over the earth. The Holy Spirit broods over us and says, what are you going to do? What are you going to believe? Not, you're going to believe this. I'm going to make you believe this. I'm going to make you do this. But what are you going to choose? Who are you going to be in me? Right? There's a space. There's a permissive space with the Father in this, in this whole kingdom mentality. And because of that, we have to come to a place in our hearts that says, I'm willing to receive Jesus. Like, I'm willing to receive it. And I'm going to shut down every mentality and process that would tell me I have to earn this. Because when He's brooding over, over us, and He's allowing you to choose, here's what can happen. You're not outside of Christ. You're not, you're not losing your salvation. But as He broods over you, as you choose to try to earn what He's already given, you fall into the consequences of what the law brought as curses to them that could not obey. Because... He told us, here's your obedience. You want to do the work of God? John chapter 6, verse 29. Believe in Him whom He sent. When you cease to believe and you begin to work to earn, you're being disobedient to grace. When you cease to believe in Him and begin to work to earn what He's already given, you begin to be disobedient. Unbelief is disobedience. If you don't believe what he said, you begin to be disobedient. As you begin to be disobedient, you try to work harder, you try to earn it more, and all of a sudden you're caught in this cycle of, God's not good. See? I've been, I've been going to church every week, been praying, been going to Bible study, nothing, nothing good's happening for me. I'm just, what do I need to do? I've got to do something better. Somebody, anybody have a suggestion on a better devotional? Maybe I can start a new devotional, and maybe I can... Maybe, I don't know, who wants to fast with me? Let's fast together because we're going to get this thing. We're going to break through and all it needs to happen is to turn and say, I believe. I believe. I believe. I worship you. But Dave said, I worship you. I believe you. I worship you, Lord. I worship you because you set the firmament in place and its glory declares who you are because every breath I breathe is a breath you gave to me because my heart is filled with blood that came from Jesus Christ who created life within me so that I could be a life to other people. I worship you. I know why David stood on the rocks and played his instruments when no one else was looking because God was that good as he looked out over his sheep and understood the heart of the Father who said, I will take care of my people even as a shepherd looks after his sheep. I know why he worshiped God in the night as he looked up and saw the stars and God said, I will declare to you your people will be as numerous as these stars because God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise. And all he said, believe. You need a breakthrough? Believe. And I'm not trying to not be practical because in your belief, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So what is the work of God? Believe in the one he sent. You know what your works are? Receiving. And it's one of the hardest things we can do as people. We're not used to it. We're used to everybody taking. We're used to taking ourselves. Take, 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 take. Somebody's taking from me, I'm taking from them. I just hope at the end of the day I took more than they took, you know. That's kind of the mentality that we live in, right? 
Unfortunately. And so if that's take, 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 God's like, oh, no, 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 no. Scrap it all. Kingdom of God, give, 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 give. I'm giving. How about you? You giving? I'm going to give. You're going to give? Let's give. Let's keep on giving. You know, it's like it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we just get caught in this place where we're no longer gratifying the, the desires of our flesh. Why? Because the Spirit gives life. So, I, you know, it's hard for me. I'm not trying to, I'm not chastising in any way. I hope you don't, don't hear that in my heart. My heart is, as the last day's church, we really need to take hold of what we're receiving from Jesus. And we need to receive it in fullness. We can't let it be like partially received and partially implemented and partially used. Because you have to believe that when he said, lay your hands on sick people like Ed, they shall recover. I believe that. You have to believe that he who owns a cattle on every hill has your money set aside for you to carry out the destiny that he has for you. You have to believe it. You have, you have to believe the love supply that you need to carry out your journey in this life. He already has it for you. Just receive it. And you'll receive through worship. You know, do you know how the Psalms were written? They were written in worship. See, Asaph was the chief musician, would go into the temple, and he would be before the most holy place, and he would just receive from the Lord as he worshiped God. And he would write it down, and the scribes would write it down. And we have some of the most beautiful songs, some of the most beautiful worship to God. Why? Because Asaph was faithful. You know who else was faithful? David. David didn't even try to follow the law. He just said, hey, blow this thing open. We're going to be in God's presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because we need lots of psalms. You know, like, we need lots of dancing music. We need lots of Jesus. And so he saw that, and he just stayed before the presence of God. And what came out of it? How many times have you been hurting in your own life and ran to the psalms to be rejuvenated? Even Ginger and Ed right now, I know you guys have been, have been in the psalms. You've been saying that the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. We shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, he leads me to green pastures. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Your table is set. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So share what's on your heart. Share what the Lord has spoken to you if you have anything.